Welcome to The Wounded Christian. I'm your host, John Piper. Today's episode is part one of a mini-series entitled Lies You've Believed. Over the next few episodes, I'm going to share with you lies that I believed that either increased my hurt or hindered my healing. All of these lies seemed biblical when I was told them. All of these lies are things that Christians genuinely believe to be true. Most of these lies are based in some way on a scripture that has been misunderstood. If you've read my book, listened to previous episodes of this podcast, or heard me speak in church, you may have heard some of these before, but not in this depth. My healing started as God revealed to me that what I'd believed was wrong. As I started to understand the truth about pain and suffering and God's role in it, a weight was lifted from my shoulders. The truth was liberating, and it's that liberation that I want to share with you over the next few episodes. Each episode is going to look at a lie and then delve into the truth. In today's episode, we're going to discuss the first lie, that Christians should fear God. The first time I heard somebody tell me that I should fear God, it was my father. He was at the front of church, and he was telling the congregation that a wife and child should fear their father like they fear God. My my father was not a pastor, but he would regularly go to the front of the church, interrupt the preacher, and ask to share, share something from God. When my father said that wives and children should fear their father like they fear God, the preacher agreed with him, as did the congregation. It wasn't until years later that they realised just how much he meant what he said. He meant that I, his son, should be so terrified of my father that I obey his every command without hesitation or question. Now, many of you won't have had a father like that, but many of you will at some point have believed that you have a God like that. You will have heard people say phrases like, they need the fear of God scared into them and other variations of that phrase. There are many Christians who believe that we should fear God, and they have a legitimate reason for believing that, because there are many scriptures that do speak about fearing God. If you've been joining Vicky and I on our goal of reading through the Bible in one year, you'll know that we're currently in the midst of Numbers. At this point, the Israelites are coming towards the end of the 40 years God made them wander in the wilderness. This wandering was punishment for not believing that God could defeat the giants in the promised land. God has just told Moses that he needs to go up a mountain to die because he was not allowed to enter the promised land and that was a punishment for his misrepresentation of God years before. Earlier in the account of the Israelites in the wilderness, we read about the people being destroyed by God because they rebelled against him. There are multiple times that God wanted to destroy the people and start over. And the only thing that stopped him was Moses begging him to have mercy. We're only a couple of books into the Old Testament and we see a God who is scary and should be feared. And if that is all we see, then it seems like those who say we should fear God have it right. Malachi 3.6 tells us that God does not change. So how is it possible that the angry, vengeful, fearful God of the Old Testament is also the loving God of the New Testament? Did my father actually have it right? And should I be so fearful of God that the thought of making a mistake sends me into a blind panic? No, 
But why not? Because that interpretation of the accounts in the Old Testament is only seeing one side of God. So let's look at one of these stories in a little bit more detail. In number 16, the Israelites have been wandering in the desert for a long time. By day, they're led by a column of smoke, and by night, they're led by a column of fire. Every day, God provides food for everyone, somewhere around two million people. While the normal people cannot speak directly to God, they see his hand in their everyday lives in a very real way. They have no reason to doubt who God is or what he is capable of. And yet, a group of people decide that they've had enough. They plot to overthrow Moses as the leader and to take the Israelites back to Egypt, back into captivity. These rebels convince the people of Israel that the land they came from, which many of the younger ones haven't experienced, was a land flowing with milk and honey. The people believe the rebels, reject the signs that God is still leading them to the promised land, and give their support to these rebellious leaders. In Numbers 16 verses 18, Moses is preparing a test in front of the entire community of Israel. This test will show whether God is with Moses or with the rebellious leaders. The outcome of this test will determine who the people follow, whether they continue to follow Moses or whether they elect the rebellious leaders and go back to Egypt. So listen to this from Numbers 16, verses 19 to 33, and this is read from the New Living Translation. Meanwhile, Korah has stirred up the entire community against Moses and Aaron, and they are all gathered at the tabernacle entrance. Then the glorious presence of the Lord appeared to the whole community, and the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Get away from all these people so that I may instantly destroy them. But Moses and Aaron fell down on the ground. O oh God, they pleaded, you are the God who gives breath to all creatures. Must you be angry with all the people when only one man sins? And the Lord said to Moses, Then tell the people to get away from the tents of Korah, Datham, and Abiram. So Moses got up and rushed over to the tents of Dathan and Abiram, followed by the elders of Israel. Quick, he told the people, get away from the tents of these wicked men and don't touch anything that belongs to them. If you do, you will be destroyed for their sins. So all the people stood back from the tents of Korah, Dathan and Abiram. Then Dathan and Abiram came out and stood at the entrance of their tents, together with their wives and children and little ones. And Moses said, This is how you will know that the Lord has sent me to do all these things that I have done, for I have not done them on my own. If these men die a natural death, or if nothing unusual happens, then the Lord has not sent me. But if the Lord does something entirely new, and the ground opens its mouth and swallows them and all their belongings, and they go down alive into the grave, then you will know that these men have shown contempt for the Lord. He had hardly finished speaking these words, when the ground suddenly split open beneath them. The earth opened its mouth and swallowed the men along with their households and all their followers who were standing with them and everything they owned. So they went down alive into the grave, along with all their belongings. The earth closed over them and they all vanished from among the people of Israel. There are two characteristics of God that we need to see in this account. The first is the obvious one. 
The people rebelled against God. They ignored his direction. They ignored the past miracles that he has done. They ignored the daily provision he was giving them. They gave up on the hope of the promised land, and they turned from God. Can you see yourself at all in that description? God's reaction was to get angry with them and destroy them all. And the only thing that stopped him from destroying everyone was Moses and Aaron pleading with him not to. And if that is the only character of God you see in this account, then you would be justified in being fearful of God. But I see a second character of God in this account. Yes, God got angry, but his anger was not actually directed at the entire population. His anger was directed at Korah and his co-conspirators. These were men who had experienced Egypt. They knew just how bad Egypt had been. They sold the lie of Egypt being a land flowing with milk and honey because they were purposefully taking God's own words and using it to manipulate impressionable people. God was not angry at the people for losing hope. He was not angry at the people for doubting him. He was not even angry at the people from turning away from him. He was angry at the people for listening to lies. But more than that, he was angry at Korah and his friends for being the ones who purposefully misled the people. Even in God's anger, he gave the people a way out. If you've been reading along with us, you will know that this is only one of the times God got angry. Reading the Old Testament, it can sometimes seem like God got angry a lot. But have you noticed the balance that there is in every account? Every time the people turn their backs on God, he gets angry. But every time he is angry, his mercy is shown. A quick Google search shows us that there are around 20 times in the Bible that fear God is mentioned in some way. The majority of those times are in the Old Testament. I want, for a minute, to mention one of the times it's mentioned in the New Testament. I want to do this because it's something I've heard preached a lot, especially in Pentecostal-type churches. That verse is Philippians 2 verse 12. It's often quoted from the King James Version, which says this, Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. This is a partial verse. I've heard it said by pastors as a phrase that everyone should know and understand. But it's never made sense to me. My salvation comes from believing in Christ. I'm not even sure what working out my salvation even means. I've never understood the King James Version because it uses language that was antiquated far before I was born. This verse is often used to say that we should come before God with fear and trembling. And it's the word trembling that really gets me. How do we reconcile a God who loves us with a God who wants us to tremble in fear in his presence? And remember, this is coming from someone whose father expected that of his wife and kids, that we would tremble in fear in order to be scared into obeying him. And that is the problem with taking a partial verse and building your theology, the, the belief on one subject, around it. So let's look at the verses around it. Verse 12 and 13 of Philippians 2 from the New Living Translation says this, Dear friends, you always followed my instructions when I was with you. Now that I am away, it is even more important. 
work hard to show the results of your salvation, obeying God with deep reverence and fear. For God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. Yes, verse 12 still uses the word fear, but deep reverence is far different than trembling. I can have deep reverence for God without being so scared that he will smite me that I tremble at the very thought of him. And verse 13 is important. If God is working in you to give you the desire and power to please him, does that sound like a scary, angry God? When we take one verse and build our entire idea of God around it, we don't get a balanced view of who God is. So if you believe in fear and trembling, and I haven't convinced you yet, I will look at another scripture in a little while. But I want to go back to the Old Testament first. We serve a God who got so tired of his people turning away from them that instead of destroying them, he sent his son to be sacrificed for them. And now his son sits at his right hand. Listen to this. Every time you turn your back on God, he looks at his son and remembers his mercy. Yes, God places things in your life to get your attention. Yes, God sometimes uses pain and suffering to bring you back to him. But none of this is done from anger. It's all done from love. So, does that mean that God has changed? No, not at all. It means that if we believe that we should fear God, we have misunderstood who God is. Let's go back to Malachi 3 and read the verses around where it says God does not change. Here it is from the New Living Translation, starting in verse 1. Look, I am sending my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. Then the Lord you are seeking will suddenly come back to his temple. The messenger of the covenant whom you look for so eagerly is surely coming, says the Lord of heaven's armies. But who will be able to endure it when he comes? Who will be able to stand and face him when he appears? For he will be like a blazing fire that refines metals, or like a strong soap that bleaches clothes. He will sit like a refiner of silver, burning away the dross. He will purify the Levites, refining them like gold and silver, so that they may once again offer acceptable sacrifices to the Lord. Then once more, the Lord will accept the offerings brought to him by the people of Judah and Jerusalem, as he did in the past. At that time, I will put you on trial. I am eager to witness against all sorcerers and adulterers and liars. I will speak against those who cheat employees of their wages, who oppress widows and orphans, or who deprive the foreigners living among you of justice. For these people do not fear me says the Lord of heaven's armies. God is talking about the coming of Jesus. When he talks about the people not fearing him, he's talking about those who oppress the widows, the orphans, and the foreigners. Those who knowingly abuse others for their own gain. Those people should be fearful of God because they are abusing the very people that Jesus came to free. And now we get to the verse that says that God does not change. 
We've just heard that people need to fear God. Now we will hear that God does not change. But listen to the balance between God's anger and his mercy. Verse 6 and 7 say this, I am the Lord and I do not change. That is why you descendants of Jacob are not already destroyed. Ever since the days of your ancestors, you have scorned my decrees and failed to obey them. Now return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of heaven's armies. And that is the true heart of God. In your hurt, in your pain, in your suffering, you may have turned away from God. I doubt that you've scorned his decrees. I doubt that you've oppressed widows, orphans, and foreigners. I doubt that you have abused others for your own gain. If you have, God still extends his mercy to you. If you've turned from God, his message to you, right there in Malachi, is this. Return to me and I will return to you. Now, does that sound like an angry God? Or does that sound like a God who loved you so much that he paid the ultimate price just so that you could return to him. And for those of you who are still convinced that we should come to God with fear and trembling, I want to read you a verse from Hebrews 4, starting in verse 14, in the New Living Translation. It says this, So then, since we have a great high priest who has entered heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to what we believe. This high priest of ours understands our weakness, for he faced all of the same testing that we do, yet he did not sin. So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy, and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. We have already heard that God does not change. But something did change with Christ. In the Old Testament, the only mediator between God and man was the high priest. Or, during Moses' time, it was Moses pleading for the people. But that all changed with Christ. Christ experienced all of the pain, hurt and suffering that you've been through. He gets you. He sees you. He knows you and he understands you. He understands your doubt. He understands you turning away from God. There is no anger. Just empathy. So the idea that we should come to God in fear and trembling to show that we are scared is absolutely bogus. It's time to come back to God boldly. Yes, with reverence. Reverence for who God is and what he has done. But come boldly. That is where you will find his mercy his grace, and his strength and power to get back on the right path with him by your side. It's time to come back to the God who loved you before you were worthy enough for his love and dismiss the lie you have believed that you need to be fearful of him. In today's episode, I've shown you that God does get angry, but his mercy supersedes that anger. When you mess up, because you will, Come back to him with confidence, knowing that he is working in you to give you a stronger desire to please him. And that work in you comes from his love for you, not his anger towards you.
Today's episode discussed one of the lies I've believed that increased my hurt and hindered my healing. If anything you've heard today has helped you break free from believing the same lie, please let me know. You can message me on Facebook or send me an email. Check out the Contact Us page on our website, www.woundedchristian.com, for all the ways to contact me. And make sure you share this episode on your socials so that others can hear it too.